This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Well, welcome again to the Equip Podcast. My name is Mark Vance. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church, and today I want to talk about flawed heroes. We just did a series at Cornerstone Church where we took three Sundays and we looked at the biographical sketch of the lives of kind of three heroes of the faith, uh, men who were foundational to the work of God in his church through the years. We looked at Augustine of Hippo, the great theologian of the early church. We looked at Martin Luther, the German monk turned Protestant Reformation preacher. And we looked at Jonathan Edwards, uh, the theologian and pastor kind of behind the first great awakening in the American colonies. And in each person, we saw remarkable lessons from their lives. But one of the questions, any time that you do a historical biographical sketch that you're going to get in the modern day, it kind of goes something like this. I mean, Mark, you pointed out the, these heroic men, but you didn't take a lot of time on the fact that they're profoundly flawed. For instance, with Augustine, I mean, you mentioned the thing with him being engaged to marry an 11-year-old girl. That seems really weird. But even if you dig into his theology... Um, B.B. Warfield, the great Princeton theologian, said that in many ways the Protestant Reformation is the triumph of Augustine's doctrine of grace over Augustine's doctrine of the church. I mean, Augustine was a committed Catholic, and much of Roman Catholic doctrine that would follow is built off of an Augustinian foundation. I mean, to be frank, even in the debates of the Reformation times, while uh, Martin Luther will appeal to Augustine to argue for God's sovereign grace. In the very same debates with a Roman Catholic theologian, the most quoted theologian on the other side is also Augustine. He has, so he has profound flaws in his theology. I mean, take Martin Luther that we just mentioned. You know, toward the end of his life, he wrote some virulently anti-Semitic works that later were played upon even by the Nazis in German history. It was profoundly wrong. Jonathan Edwards, he was a powerful theologian, but he's also kind of an oddly disconnected husband. Uh, his family owned slaves. He was a terrible pastor. I mean, how do you highlight these heroes and ignore their flaws? Well, we have a modern tendency, I, I want to point out, in our culture to cancel any hero with warts to, and to read in a distinct way our distinctly modern moral convictions back on our heroes of the past. That doesn't mean that what people in the past did is excusable or right. It just means if you read back, for instance, the convictions about slavery from a modern day backwards, is slavery wrong? Yes. Hear me clearly, it is. But if we're going to cancel every historical figure who engaged at some level in the practice of slavery, you're going to have to cancel basically every historical figure uh, from a certain time frame back because slavery was woven into the economic setup of the ancient world. There, someone has once said uh, that when we talk about the problem of slavery in the ancient world, even that phrase is a problem because no one in the ancient world had a problem with slavery. That's not to say it's right. That's to say modern moral convictions at times differ. It gives us a distinct lens that we view the past through. And I'm pointing out here, everyone has flaws. And in the modern world, our tendency is to find a flaw and cancel the hero. Well, that's going to be difficult because every hero has flaws. I'm going to actually quote from Jonathan Edwards here, one of the incredible reflections he wrote on even the flaws of the Great Awakening itself. He wrote, this. 
It is a difficult thing to be a hearty, zealous friend of what has been good and glorious in the late extraordinary appearances, and that he means in the, the this great awakening, and to rejoice much in it, and yet at the same time to see the evil and pernicious tendency of what has been bad, and to earnestly impose the evil. Yet I am humbly persuaded that we shall never be in the way of truth, a way acceptable to God and tending to the advancement of Christ's kingdom till we do so. There is indeed something very mysterious in this, that so much good and so much bad should be mixed together in the church of God. As it is a mysterious thing, and what has puzzled and amazed many a good Christian, that there should be that which is so divine and precious as the saving grace of God, dwelling in the same heart with so much corruption, hypocrisy, and iniquity in a particular saint. End quote. That's a, that's a profound example of Jonathan Edwards wrestling with this very same thing. How do we wrestle with the idea that there's so much precious of God's grace and yet so much corruption in any particular saint? How do we, how do we deal with the flaws of our heroes? Well, I want to point out as an example, and this is kind of what guided me as I put together these kind of old and gold lessons from the history of the church. It's the biblical example of biographical sketch in Hebrews chapter 11. So, Hebrews chapter 11, to sketch it out, is like the Hall of Fame of Faith, is what some have called it. It's a celebration of the faith displayed by those in the past who trusted in God's promises and moved forward in such a way that they lived a life that was devoted to God by faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch walked with God and God took him away. And then in Hebrews eleven seven, it says, by faith, Noah built an ark to deliver his family. But I want to hit pause here, because if we go back and read the biblical account of Noah, we find out that after he built the ark, after his family is saved, he plants a vineyard, gets drunk on the vineyard grapes, and then somehow exposes himself in some odd way to his sons, drunken and passed out in his tent. The next guy up in the Hall of Fame of Faith, by faith Abraham, when he was called, went out, obeyed, and set out for a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. Okay, it makes Abraham out, it feels like in Hebrews 11, to be this paragon of perfection of faith. But Abraham seems to waver all the time. He's constantly lying about whether his wife Sarah is his sister or not. He's running away, kind of hiding. Well, how can that man be a hero of the faith? You could skip forward, go to Hebrews eleven twenty three. By faith, Moses, after he was born and hidden by his parents for three years because they saw the child was beautiful and didn't fear the king's edict, by faith, when he had grown up, refused to be called Pharaoh's sons and chose to suffer with the people of God. Well, what did that mean in Moses' life? It meant he murdered in Egyptian guard, and also that as he went through this process of leaving Egypt behind and went into the desert in Midian, Moses wasn't just like, running toward the promised land. He wasn't just like walking toward Egypt in full and confidence. He's constantly begging with God not to send him there, okay? The next one mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews eleven thirty one, is by faith Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace. It literally says Rahab the prostitute, guys. I mean, clearly there's a problem there. And it goes on, time is too short to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson. My goodness, Samson, whose immorality leads him to betray 
his oath. Jephthah, David, David, who somehow is both a man after God's own heart and yet a murderer, an adulterer, one who hides that using the power of his office as king. I mean, my goodness. Okay. It says at the end of Hebrews 11, verse 39, all of these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised since God had something better for us so that they would not be made perfect. They would not inherit the promises without us. Hebrews 12.1 says, Since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. These heroes of the faith are surrounding us. We look at their example. But these are very flawed people. Okay, so here's two sides to the biblical coin. And I think this is very important. In Hebrews 11, rightly, the author of Hebrews highlights the virtues of the faith of these people. And he does not, in writing that, that, that highlighting of their faith, in writing the Hall of Fame of Faith, he does not pause to mention their flaws every time he says their name. In other words, simply because a person has flaws in the past does not mean every time you mention them, you must give an asterisk by their name so that no one could ever know that they don't have flaws. You know, look, no one is pretending when you mention David as a hero of the faith, that he did not profoundly fail as well. And that's the other side to the biblical coin. The authors rightly highlight the virtues of faith, but on the other side, the biblical history points out the flaws of the figures of the faith. How do we know that Abraham struggled in faith to trust God and lies about his his wife being his sister? Well, because it's written in the text of Scripture. The biblical history, in other words, is avoiding two of these modern tendencies. On the one side is called hagiography. That The word hagias is the word for a saint in Greek. Hagiography is a biography that deifies the person that you're talking about. It makes them out to be a person with absolutely no flaws. On the other side, I think you could say the Bible doesn't uh, engage in hamartiography. Harmartia is the, the word for sin. In other words, it doesn't say they're all sinful. You don't cancel a hero just because they have flaws. You own that a hero, like every person of the faith who's not named Jesus, is someone that in the mystery of the grace of God, there is mingled together in the same person so much that is good, divine, and precious, so much that is an evidence of the saving faith, and so much that is also corrupt, hypocritical, and an evidence of the fact that we still are sinners. So my appeal is, when we look at Christian biography, let us not ignore the flaws of those who are there. Augustine, Luther, Edwards were not only saints, they were sinners. There are flaws in how they lived, in what they taught, in the theology they walked in. But that doesn't invalidate the fact that they can be a hero of the faith. We don't have to cancel our heroes because they're sinners. I think the other side to say this is is also to be clear. There are certain ways of hypocrisy where it actually seems to invalidate the life of the person. In other words, if a person acts like they're a perfect person, while, you know, basically behind the scenes, they're actually this horrible, corrupt sinner who's running this vile ring of evil. Well, in that case, what we can say is their, their righteousness, their virtue was a cover for their evil. It's In other words, there are people who we just need to acknowledge have evil tendencies and evil ways. Now, let's, let's get to the end of this in Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12 says, Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, witnesses who are heroes of the faith and yet flawed people, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, so here's the point to see here. In the lives of the heroes of the faith, we not only see the example of their witness and look to that, it says that as we see them, ultimately, who do we end up fixing our eyes on? Hebrews 12.2, their example leads us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. There's one perfect hero in the story of Christianity. And it's not Jonathan Edwards or Martin Luther or St. Augustine of Hippo. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So we fix our eyes on him. He's the one who endured the cross. He's the one who despised its shame. He's the one who laid his life down, who is, who is the perfect son of God, gave himself up for us all. So we should look to the example of the past as, as an example of how a flawed person can pursue a perfect savior. The life of Jonathan Edwards isn't instructive for us simply because of his perfection. It's actually because of his flaws that we find hope. We see in the story of God that God in his grace chooses to use flawed people to do profound work so that in the mystery of God's grace, we end up understanding there is only one hero to the story of scripture and his name is Jesus. So, as you look to the lives of heroes of the faith in the past, as you look you know, forward, you're going to have instances even in your own life. This is something you need to apply in your relationship to people. You might look back on your childhood and begin as an adult to see some of the flaws of the parenting methodologies that your parents have had in your past. You know, Well, the same thing will probably be true of your children and my children. When they look back at how we parented 20 years, 30 years in the future, they're going to see the same flaws. The question is, are you able to thank God for the grace while you're aware of the flaws? You don't have to deny the flaws of what's shown up in your past or in your present, any of those things. But if all you see is the flaws and you never see the grace, you're you're having too limited a perspective. People are not all evil. We are both made in the image of God and we are sinners. Therefore, we're able to thank God for the grace that we see even through sinful examples. So apply it in your own life to your family members. Choose to dwell on the grace of God in them while not denying the evidence of sin in them. That the, The two are not mutually exclusive in the way that you live. Choose to live that way when you look at modern heroes of the faith. I've recently seen a modern hero of mine, Tim Keller, who passed away recently from pancreatic cancer. We're actually going to record an episode of the Equip podcast honoring him and working through some of the ways that his works have deeply influenced me as a person and as a pastor. Well, Tim Keller, is he a perfect man? No, I'm sure. If you go through, you can find the flaws in his life. But we're able to thank God for the grace that is there. And, And I think in the Bible... We have a call to do something that is really radical and beautiful. If the flaw of some of the, you know, history books that we grew up reading was that all they ever told was the good and they never mentioned the bad, 
And maybe the flaw of modern history books is that they're so obsessed with pointing out the flaws and the bad that they can't actually lift up the good. The Bible doesn't do either of those things. It's incredible. The Bible can hold up a hero of the faith and yet be totally honest about the flaws of that hero. It's the perfect balance. And so as we look at how we should study and learn from the lives of those who went before us in the past, my appeal is just live and and read and think like the Bible does. The Bible that can hold up righteous Lot, and yet at the same time, back in the book of Genesis, record the incestuous relationship Lot has. Okay, those can both be seen in Scripture. So, how do we deal with the flaws of our heroes? Here's the simple summary in all of it. We deal with them the way the Bible does, with honesty about their flaws and honesty about God's grace in them. We kind of take the wisdom that Jonathan Edwards wrote, that while it is a difficult thing, We will never be in the way of truth. We will never fully understand the way of God until we own that there is something mysterious in this, that there is so much good and so much bad mixed together in the church of God. So as we see that, let's be honest about the flaws, but always amazed also at the grace of God as we look at the lives of the heroes of the faith.